0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek for April 1st. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, joined on this Zoom call by Nick Underhill from New NewOrleans.Football and my co-host, John DeShazer. We're doing a Zoom call in our uh, perspectives ho- pr- perspective homes uh, because of the coronavirus. We hope you are all staying safe during this time. Um, Nick, JD, thank you for joining me today. I want to start this call. I feel like all the podcasts that we've done in the, in the past, we're kind of talking about uh, how our lives have changed during this time and things like that. But I do want to start this this interview on a positive note. Uh, can you both just point out one positive thing that has happened to you both during this time period that we've been uh, quarantined?
1: Well, I guess for me, I, I moved back to New Orleans <laughs> right at the beginning of it. I uh, just kind of beat the the madness as we were coming down here. Uh, all this stuff was going on. But, you know, even with the city shut down and everything, it, it's nice for me just to to be back here, but on a broader scope, just kind of seeing how people have kind of come together for one another and being aware of you know the restaurants that need help and people that need help. And it just seems like every time I scroll through my Twitter timeline, there's somebody stepping up to help somebody else. And just kind of seeing that sense of community we have here in the city has, has been, you know it's a nice thing to see within really terrible circumstances.
0: And Nick, I do want to get into your community efforts uh, later in the show, as well as uh, your thoughts on Tom Brady. I'm sorry I didn't intro that, but uh, before we go into JD, I do want to kind of get into your philanthropic efforts later in the show. But JD, go ahead and, and add in your positive comment.
2: Yeah, I was about to feel kind of left out there. Um, uh, outside of the the natural getting a top uh, an opportunity to spend time with with your family that you otherwise wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I I think the biggest thing for me actually was, um, was somebody else witnessing somebody else on Deontay Harris, the rookie uh, return for the saints who made it possible to donate. um, I think about 10,700 meals uh, to, to a couple of, uh, to a couple of cities on new Orleans and Baltimore for a guy who, who doesn't have a lot of, you know, by football terms, doesn't have a great salary
0: Mm -hmm. uh, for him
2: to, to step in that way because he said, you know, Hey, that's, that's just the way he was raised. He was raised to help those who couldn't help themselves. So it was really impressive because you see a lot of guys, you know, big time guys. I mean, and and that's certainly not to downplay um the 5 million donated by Drew Brees or the 1 million uh, by Mrs. Gail Benson, but to see Deontay Harris, a guy who, you know, probably got a a signing bonus from next to nothing uh, to, to go into his pocket that deep was pretty impressive to me.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that, uh, JD, because you're talking about a guy who came out of a small school undrafted, made the Saints roster, and then, you know, his, his rookie season kind of just exploded from there. And, you know, you talk about Drew Brees, you talk about the bigger players, the bigger names who have given back, but for Deontay Harris to do that has just been spectacular and something that I can say was unexpected from my point of view. But, um, Nick, that leads me into some of your efforts. Uh, you started New Orleans Football on February 14th, uh, and most recently you, you tweeted out um, I don't have much, and I'm fighting like every other small business, but I want to find a way to give back and help out during this crisis. If anyone has any ideas, shoot me an email or direct message, and since you tweeted that, you've been able to, to give, give groceries to 30 families, uh, and you've partnered with the Boys and Girls Club, so can you just talk about how that idea started and your reaction to seeing it kind of explode like this?
1: yeah i should have talked to my wife before i tweeted because like she read the tweet and had the perfect idea so uh but yeah i mean we we just have been taking the money that that we've generated this week and we're buying 150 dollars grocery gift cards but really most of the money has come through just people that are already on the site just giving you know direct donations and i don't know i mean it it was just something where you know like i said we're trying to grow this business it's Navigating the coronavirus within the first sixty days of launching the site wasn't something that, you know, we anticipated doing, but we're eating, we're paying our bills, and you just kind of see a lot of stuff that people are going through and they're much harder off than, you know, anything I'm going through. And I just I just hate seeing that. And it was kind of like tugging at my heart a little bit and just being able to to help other people out in this community that's embraced me and my family so much. It's just you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. I was expecting maybe to, to help three or four people at best. And, you know, now it was 30 yesterday. We're coming up on 40 right now. So the numbers keep growing and it's really been, you know, awe-inspiring. And for me, being able to to help out people, you know, with families, with, with kids that, you know, rely on schools to eat, that's my background. That's where I came from. And if something like this happened when I was growing up, our family would have been, you know, in, in. Bad shape, really quickly. So, uh, just being able to to do a little something is is you know it, it's nice. And anything we can do to help out, I mean that, that's what we want to be able to do.
2: All of us. The are heart, uh,
1: the heart of the machete.
2: Now, I was I was I was going to actually <laughs> instead of Deontay Harris, I was going to mention Nick uh, instead. But since we were going to get around to that, I didn't want to seem like I was kissing up too much. But you Thank know, you. his it's my job is as 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 much impressive as Deontay maybe more because as he said you know he's a small business Uh, he came back he's just starting and um and Nick knows me we know each other obviously we're you know we're friends and so he knows I would not do this for kiss-up purposes but I think I think you know it's it's um it's as impressive as the in-depth analysis as he gives all the time but you know just just to see people like Nick, you know, regular people who do irregular things during this, during this time. I mean, a lot of people get caught up in the big, big, big magnanimous givings, and it's really the smaller ones that kind of keep this thing afloat. So, you know, I think the New Orleans community certainly appreciates uh, Nick, and, and it and obviously doesn't go unnoticed by all of us who know it.
0: Yeah, and all of us are pretty heavily on social media. I know Twitter, especially, but it, it was so quick to see. We were also quick to see all of the negatives that came out of the initial uh, you know announcement of the virus you know things being sold out of grocery stores you know people on the street that were struggling so it was cool to see Nick you kind of come out of the woodwork as JD said like Deontay Harris and for those of us who kind of had nowhere to turn like we want to help and we we want to provide as much as we can for other people because we do have um, some resources and we are able to you know pay the rent and things like that but for those people who aren't able to do all of the those things. It was cool for you having a small business to find a way to give back. But that leads me into my next question of how are you able to buy groceries for these people? Are you doing it online? Are you going into the store yourself with your wife? How are you kind of finding a way to navigate going into grocery stores and giving back?
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, I want to say like, I'm not even really doing it. I sent out a tweet and it's like, the city that that's really doing all this. I sent out a tweet and then I called the boys and girls club and it's just kind of like, I'm the, the go between. So I, I mean, it's, it's nothing really that I'm I'm doing. It's just, you know, it's a minor effort on my part and everybody else is or really the people stepping up, but uh, what we're doing, we're, we're buying $150 uh, gift cards. You know, I, I've reached out to a couple different grocery stores hoping that one will decide to partner with us and maybe kick back a little bit and, you know, help these people out and get all this business. So, hopefully one of those come through. But if not, yeah, I mean, we're we're just buying gift cards. And then the Boys and Girls Club is is finding the families, and we're going to mail the gift cards to them so that there isn't a lot of, you know, social interaction, because we aren't supposed to be doing that right now. So right. Uh, it, it's, you know, mostly by mail.
2: Nick, don't, don't poo-poo, man, because, you know, now, <laughs> really, because a lot of people say they want to help, or a lot of people say they will help. Right. But not a lot of people actually take the initiative to do it. So you know, bask in this glory because you know at some point, you know, because at some point you know I'm gonna have something snarky to say down the line. You know, so you know, bask in this glory right now.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll take it, man.
0: Yeah, JD knows how to bask in the glory, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, Nick, this this time uh at home has allowed you to do uh more, it seems like on NO dot football. Uh I saw you broke down every play since 2016 when when Sean Kayton was releasing, you know, his favorite passing plays and concepts and things like that. But we're used to that. You don't need time at home for you to do that. We know that you'll break down pretty much anything from any distance. Whenever I saw 2016, I was like, oh, that's that's nothing for Nick. He's done like every play in existence. So uh, just talk about this, how this time has opened up kind of new opportunities for you to, to dive into your research.
1: Well, yeah, I mean I hate to say that. Like I see everybody else talking about like how different their life is, and I'm like, uh, like the only thing I'm not doing is going to movies. So I mean <laughs> I'm a pretty I'm a pretty boring person. Um so you know, this is the stuff I, I was doing before. But yeah, I mean, as soon as Sean sent out those plays, like it was just like I was waiting for that moment. It's like, all right, this is this is this is him calling a play for me. I gotta go do this. So I don't know. I mean, we we want that insight from the coach, we want to know what his favorite plays are. Those are the things we beg to find out. And as soon as that's out there, like as a as a reporter, it feels like the natural next step is is to try to figure out every single thing uh, you can find out about that play. And I don't know, sadly, I've been hand-drawing the plays they run uh, every week since 2015. So, you know, I kind of already have, like, the database of, of all the stuff they're doing. So it's kind of just flipping through it and cross-checking and, and making sure I didn't miss anything. But... It wasn't too hard to put together once it was out there, at least, you know, a rough estimate. It, I'm sure my my research of finding every instance might not be 100%, but it's maybe 90. I don't know. But, I mean, that first play he 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 put out there, the all-go special, uh, it's pretty obvious why, why they really like that play. They've ran it 16 times over the last three seasons. They're 14 for 16 on it. And I think the most interesting thing about it is, is that out of all those times they've ran it outside of one Drew's either thrown the ball to the guy in the slot, which was Mike Thomas on, on all instances except one that went to Willie Sneed and then the rest have gone to the inline tight end going up the field, except for one pass to Brennan Coleman uh, on a 31 yard gain. So, I mean, it's easy to see why he really likes that play. It puts Mike Thomas in a position of, of strength on the crossing route, which I think he's 80 for 90 on throughout his career or 70 for 80. And, uh, uh, otherwise, he's throwing up the seam to the the tight end, which has always been something that that Breeze has been really good at. So, uh, you know, picking a favorite play once you kind of dug into it, it makes a lot of sense why they really like that one.
0: Nick, in free agency this year, the uh, Saints made some bigger moves later in free agency, obviously with the pickup of Malcolm Jenkins, Emmanuel uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and and the other among the other moves that they made. But it, it seems more so this year that. The Saints are are all in. You know, they're they're cashing in all their, their chips. Sorry, I told JD I watched Goodfellas last night, so I got a lot of <laughs> poker references. Um, but what makes this year seem more all in than maybe years in the past?
1: Well, I think they're just they're so close. And the guy they got outside Emmanuel Sanders, I, I think that makes a ton of sense when you look at the way he plays. They've kind of been missing that player that can work out of the slot and be savvy and do those things over the middle since since Snead left. And it's kind of been a constant search. And I think yeah. he he kind of fills that role right away. And when you watch him play, if you go back and look at some of the stuff he did in Denver and San Francisco last year, it's very easy to see just immediately why they like the guy. Like there's not a whole lot of projection. Oh, if he does this, this is how he'll fit. And I think he blends in just really, really well. And I think Keeping Andrews Pete, too, I know it wasn't a popular move among a lot of Saints fans, but I think given the circumstances of this year with this virus going on and the offseason probably most likely being cut short, I mean, I doubt we'll see OTAs or, or mini-camps at this point, the way things are going, having somebody that already knows how the offensive line operates where there is a lot of chemistry required for five guys to act as one, being able to plug him back in and keep going, I think it, it is – a pretty important move and I think that that'll allow them to hit the ground running a little bit sooner than other teams that are bringing in guys at that position and look he's had injuries the last two years too so if you're making your evaluation off you know either of the last two seasons I don't necessarily think that that's totally fair if you know after the 2017 season if they give him this contract I don't think a lot of people would have been up in arms the way they were so I think you kind of got to take that in context and also with how well they've built that line, the guys they've brought in, the signings they've made, all of them have been perfect. And that's been one of the strengths of the team. I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt on, on Pete at this point with that contract they gave
2: him. Yeah, and I, I think another thing that, you know, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the injuries the last couple of years, but I think another thing too is, you know, Andrews Pete saves you a roster spot. <laughs> he mm-hmm. kicks out to tackle if and when Teron Armstead gets injured. And unfortunately, Teron's been injured the last several seasons. And been able to play the entire season. And during those instances, for the most part, Pete's been able to kick out the left tackle. That saves the Saints a roster spot. And so, you know, he's been valuable in, in that aspect too. And, and he admits, look, he didn't play up to his standards or, or the team standards or, you know, anywhere near that he wanted to play these last couple of years. But a lot of that probably was due to the injury. So he'll hopefully be be injury-free going forward. And, and, you know, then the deal looks a lot better probably.
0: Guys, in the secondary, obviously having Malcolm Jenkins back there is going to help. But with, this, with, the, um, with the Saints agreeing to terms with Dietrich Nichols from the XFL, what is your take on that? Because I haven't heard too many people talking about it. Obviously, the XFL was short-lived, but he led uh, the XFL in interceptions with three. But what are your guys' take on, on the signing of uh, Dietrich Nichols?
2: Well, my first thought is he'll he'll come in and he'll probably have to play a lot of special teams because he's not going to beat out Marshawn Lattimore and he's not going to beat out Jack Rabbit, Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's got to be ready to go in. Plus, you know, you, you're meant, you, you have to remember P.J. Williams is also, gonna, is also going to be back. Um, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson is a guy who plays a lot of slot. And, and he
0: proved himself last year.
2: Yeah, and for now, Patrick Robinson still is on the roster. So he's going to have to get in where he fits in and, where he fits in is probably going to have to be on special teams initially. And even then special teams, you know, they're, they're, you know, at least loaded up on the outside with, you know, Justin Hardy and uh, with, and with JT Gray. So, you know, he's going to have to, whatever he gets for, from this team, he's going to have to earn it. And, and he might be a developmental prospect. He could be a, a, a practice squad guy.
1: Did you just break news by saying PJ Williams is going to be back?
2: Oh, Oh, you know what? You know what? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That's an assumption of mine. I should not have said that concretely. My, my, my fault.
0: So, no, the answer is no, he did not.
2: So, no, 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 no news broken.
0: You can't do it's take what, backs, J.D.
1: Is this like saying that Drew Brees announced it was his last season and then saying Drew Brees, whoops, that was a misspeak? Like, oh, is, this, see, is this I, what I we're would, talking about here? Or, or? I wasn't
2: the one who said that one. So, I, you know, my hands are up in the air. In a in a in a signal of surrender on that one, I got nothing to do with that.
1: One. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that that, that I do think uh, adding adding another player to cornerback, I, I think that is probably something that they should do if if PJ doesn't come back. If PJ comes back, it, it would make a whole lot of sense because I don't think if if Jenkins or Lattimore go down that you want P Rob on the outside, or I don't think you assume Nichols is ready to assume that role. Although, you know, the last guy that they brought out of nowhere from, from a, you know, an an off-brand league at cornerback, Delvin Bro, like we were probably talking about him the same way, but I highly doubt that this is a similar situation. He's already been in the league once before and then ended up in the XFL. So if, if you are making a, a proper assumption here, it would make a whole lot of sense to have PJ back on the team.
0: Guys, let's get into the NFC South because, Nick, you spent the last year working for the Athletic covering the Patriots and Tom Brady. Um, what was your initial reaction when Tom Brady announced that he was going to the Bucks?
1: I thought it made a, a lot of sense from a, a football standpoint just given all the guys they have there that he can throw the ball to. I don't think Brady's at a point in his career anymore where he makes other players better. I think he can, he can manage a ship and – And keep things going. And if he has the right guys around him, I think he can look really good, and they'll look really good. But one of the things in in New England last year was a lack of weapons and everything. And you know, there was an element of that, but they also did have a first-round pick. Uh, They signed a second-round pick for Sanu and Julian Edelman's up there, so it wasn't like they were completely barren of guys. But it just it just didn't work out because they weren't you know up to speed quick enough and. I think that that's one of the most interesting things I think going into this is seeing how Brady builds chemistry with these players because throughout his career that has been a major significant issue for him and it's one of the reasons that they've never really had a successful draft pick at wide receiver a lot of guys go in and flame out they run veterans through there you know Chad Chad Johnson Joey Galloway name brand players you know that everybody knows they go there they don't get it and they're rotated out really quick so I think he's going to have to let go of a lot and he's going to have to develop a whole lot of patience as he gets up to speed with these guys. And the way this offseason is going to be, there might not be a whole lot of time to do that. And, you know, people always ask me, I covered Brady for four years before I came to New Orleans and then went back to New England and I'm back here. So, like, I'm a ping pong ball between these two quarterbacks. But people ask me all the time, you know, what's the biggest difference? And, I, like, honestly, the biggest difference to me is, is the patience that both these guys have with their, their quarterbacks. With Drew, like last year, you saw it with Jared Cook, dropping touchdown passes, slow chemistry. Mistakes are being made, but he keeps throwing the ball to him. And they keep going back until eventually it clicks. And now it looks like Jared Cook's, you know, set up to launch off into the stratosphere next year with the way he finished last season. Whereas with Brady, like you would see somebody drop a pass and then two days later in training camp, there's a wrong route and the ball goes behind them and like you just know watching like okay this is it they're done this guy's never gonna have a chance to make it on the team and then lo and behold you know they're frozen out and they never end up doing anything so I I just think him him letting go in and just going and having fun with the guys and and figuring out how to do that on the fly is going to be a big key for success or failure but you know I I assume he, he calculated that before he made this move and it's probably about going somewhere and having fun after playing in, in such a demanding atmosphere for 20 years. But, you know, I still think the Saints are, are the team to beat in the NFC South. I, I don't think it changes the balance of power too much, but it makes them a little bit more formidable than they have been with Winston-Neck.
0: Do you think that can happen in one year? Nick, you talked about the patience of, of Tom Brady and allowing himself to have fun and things like that. Do you think that patience, that that understanding of the need for development is going to be able to happen in one year? Or do you think it's going to be more of a, a long-term plan?
1: I mean, I don't think he has a, a, a lot of time to have a long-term right. plan. You know, he's, he's coming up on the end of it. So yeah, I mean, I, if I had to get inside his head and like, I don't have any insight here. I haven't talked to anybody about him or anything like that, but like, I just think that, you know, in new England, it's it's a place where he gets chewed out the same way that the special teams gunner gets, gets chewed out by the coach and in, in meetings and stuff like that. And I just think that, that he probably, you know, you win six titles there. What else are you going to do? What, what does seven really change? He, he's at an age in his career, you know, I, I think he probably just wants to have fun. And I think a lot of the perfectionism that has defined his career and has led to his success is just something that he's probably ready to let go of and just go out there and sling it and, and let it happen and have fun. So I don't know. It's, it, it's going to be hard, though. I mean, any quarterback, you know, I said it with the offensive line, you take a quarterback and send them to a new place with a new coach, new receivers, people he's never been around, it's, it's going to be really hard for it to happen immediately. So, you know, who they are in September probably isn't who they're going to be, you know, by Thanksgiving. But I think it's going to be a slow and hard process. You know, maybe maybe initially for him down there.
0: It's funny when you when you say fun. I don't necessarily associate that with Tampa Bay, but um, I understand what you're saying. Football fun. Football fun. Football fun. Yeah. <laughs> JD, do you and your hairline uh, have anything to add?
2: <laughs> yeah, both of us are going forward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I um You know, I, I obviously agree with a lot of a lot of Nick's assessment of that. You know, I, I think. <laughs> there will be some a lot of internal pressure pressure from Brady because you know he uh, he's a guy who's won his whole career he, you know he, he knows nothing other than winning, and so it will be interesting to see what level of patience he has with his players now. He is dealing with some accomplished receivers uh Mike Evans and Chris Goodwin are really really good players, so he's got some weapons there, and it'll be interesting to see how that chemistry develops because you know, if you can't have off season throwing sessions, then it might take a little bit longer, but you know, he, again, he's a guy, he went there. I'm sure. Yeah. He wants to have fun, but he also wants to win. Uh, He, that's the only thing he's done. And anybody who ever has played any competitive sports is a hell of a lot more fun winning than it is just being out there and and not winning. So, you know, I'm sure he's looking forward to that aspect of it too. Uh, So we'll see what happens. Obviously the saints are are the cream of the crop in the division. Uh, They've, stayed intact they've gotten young they've gotten talented uh, now those younger guys are kind of rounding into some really good groove years and, and so the saints are poised to be in this position for you know you've, you figure for a bit longer it depends on what happens at quarterback in the future but they seem to be positioned pretty well with Tampa Bay with with Brady is a team that should Be positioned to make a push, but I don't want to forget the Falcons. The Falcons, I know, I know, Saints fans can't stand the Falcons. They hate saying, they hate admitting that the Falcons actually have talent. But the Falcons actually have talent now. Whether they can put that together, who knows? But they've got some people (laughs) in some key positions uh, that can play football. So it just depends on whether or not they can put it together and whether or not their psyche has been so damaged, you know, perpetually from that loss to New England. Uh, in the Super Bowl, that which they seem to not have snapped back from. And maybe they'll continue that downward spiral. But, you know, you can't forget that they've got some talent on that roster.
0: Every time I see a 28-3 and 3 reference on social media, it makes me laugh. Every single time. Um, guys, way too early predictions of the NFC South. You've both said that the Saints are, are cream of the crop still and you think that they're going to lead the division. Uh, but where do you think the other teams play out with with all the changes that have been made?
2: Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Tampa Bay's gonna be in second place just because I think they're, you know, best position to be there. Because again, you know, Atlanta, you gotta wonder where their psyche is. And then I, obviously, I was have to put Carolina in fourth place. Although, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, there you want to see Teddy do extremely well. He's got Christian McCaffrey to work with, but they don't seem to have a ton else to work with. You certainly, again, you want to see Teddy do well. I am glad it's great to see him get paid. It couldn't happen to a better guy. <laughs> but I don't know if they've got, you know, what it takes to not be uh, the, the fourth-place team in the division. So, I'd go I'd go Saints, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and then Carolina.
1: Yeah, I think I'd go the, the same order. And I, I think Bridgewater did probably get in a great situation for himself. He can probably hit the ground running a little bit with uh, a lot of the language probably being the same from what he learned in, in New Orleans with Joe Brady being – being there and running that offense, so you know I, I think he'll do okay there. But I, I you know, losing Keekley on defense too, I think is going to be a massive blow for them. You know, with the Falcons, the I agree. I think they got a ton of talent, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see if Todd Gurley's finished being, you know, Todd Gurley as, as we know him, or if he's just the guy he was last year. That that's a solid running back, but isn't going to be electrifying. But you know, if he can get a little bit healthier and they get everything to snap together you know, they could be, they could make a push for, for number two, if Tampa Bay starts out slow at all. But I think, I think right now, yeah, you you laid it out just probably exactly as, is how it'll probably turn out.
0: JD, anything else to uh, add in before we wrap things up here?
1: No, all good on my end.
0: All right, Nick, can you tell everyone how they can either follow your work or donate to uh, the work that you continue to do?
1: Yeah, I'm on uh, twitter at nick underscore underhill uh website is new orleans.football you can sign up we're throwing the subscription money into the pot for the groceries uh, this week through friday and if you just want to donate directly just send me a tweet i'll give you my my information on, on how to do that and we'll make sure everything gets into the uh, right hands
0: well guys i appreciate you joining me for today's show uh, have a good april 1st and thank god march is over